0: Welcome to Rationalist, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Morgan Wack, and I'm here with my co-host, the salacious Eddie Matthews.
1: How you doing, Eddie? Good. Welcome back, listeners. It's good to have you on the airwaves again.
0: I know you've been waiting with bated breath, uh, but we're here to save, save the day. Don't worry. We've got a fun one for you. What are we talking about today?
1: We're talking about D.B. Cooper the db what db cooper he's the (laughs) it's the alias of the only unsolved skyjacking in american history In Portland, Oregon, in November 24th, 1971, the day before Thanksgiving, I'm quoting from the Encyclopedia Britannica here, if you want to follow along. So,
0: I just want to go to a little bit of background on the research we did for this. Eddie sent me, he basically made me feel like Oliver Stone, sent me the official declassified FBI files on the FBI website, which you can't download. You have to actually scroll through about 100 pages of letters, notes, quotations. Um, it, it was very much the most sleuthing I had done in a, in a very long time. So uh, if you haven't experienced that, listeners, I, I highly recommend you find some, some topic that you're interested in so you can feel like a modern day Sherlock Holmes as well.
1: Yeah, what's pretty awesome is that um, it's now declassified, right? So the entire yeah. kind of like FBI file that they compiled over 50 years or whatever, is um cuz the case is still unsolved and they just they just closed it, you know.
0: They just closed it in 2016. So yeah. Fresh off the presses.
1: So, um yeah, anyways, if you wanted to google it and like check out the FBI file, it's pretty cool. I wrote a short story about this um incident and the first page of the short story is one of the like declassified files from the um report. So, it was kind of fun. But um Yeah, so anyways, November 24th, 1971, on a stormy night in Portland, Oregon, a nondescript, mid-40s, six-foot-tall man buys a ticket, a $20 ticket, a Northwest Orient Air... What?
0: Those were the days. $20 ticket? Mm. Well,
1: those were the days when you could just walk on a plane with anything.
0: (laughs) True, like a bomb. Yeah. So,
1: he... Uh, it's, it's, you know, a round trip ticket to, um, Seattle from Portland. Hey,
0: that's where I am. I'm
1: in Seattle. Yeah. Wow. And then, uh, (laughs) the stories,
0: see, I like this story because the only other story that anyone ever brings up is Ted Bundy. (laughs) They're like, Hey, that's where Ted Bundy lived. I'm like, all right. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad we're shifting the conversation a little bit.
1: I always remember whenever I think of Ted Bundy, I think of in Mr. Cowie's class in junior year of high school. When we were doing reports, and you did one on Ted Bundy, and Mister Kelly was like, "You would choose Ted Bundy," and you're like, "What does that mean?"
0: <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Wait, <laughs> what? Is, what is this insinuating?"
1: Yeah, but, who knows. Uh,
0: that's how I knew it, to keep my murders under wraps. It had yeah, to be a little more sly.
1: And I and I planned <laughs> uh, recording outside under the flight path today for some extra. Um, you know, ambient noise to add to the theme of what we're talking about. So if you hear a plane, that's what that is. That's the
0: commitment. We call call it guerrilla podcasting,
1: (laughs) but I digress. So he gets on the plane and he has a black attache case. Once he gets on the planes in the air, he calls a stewardess over, opens the case, and she sees several red sticks and a battery. And he tells her that his case is full of dynamite and that he wants $200,000 in $20 bills when they land in Seattle. So, they land in Seattle. He releases the 36 passengers of the plane, but holds two pilots, a flight flight engineer, and a flight attendant, and tells them um, to fly to Mexico City. He says that they can't fly direct to Mexico City, that they're going to have to take um, a stop in Reno, Nevada on the way. They agree after a negotiation that refueling in Reno, Nevada will be um, permissible, according to DDB Cooper. So they take off from Seattle and somewhere flying, uh, you know, back south between Seattle and Portland, somewhere in between that, they uh, hear essentially like the exit hatch um, open and After, you know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes of being terrified and not knowing, like, finally, Stewart just goes back and sees that D.B. Cooper is no longer on the plane. Mind you, this is, uh, you know, they're flying at 200 knots. It's in the middle of a storm, right, that he took the parachute. And that's the history of it. Basically, his body's never been found. He's never been identified. They had 800 suspects that uh, they went through. And all of them, except for a few, were kind of like dismissed out of hand. There was a complication to the story, though. So that was 1971. Nine years later, in 1980, a boy finds a package with $5,800 buried along the Columbia River. Um, north of Portland, and it has serial serial numbers of the twenty dollar bills that match the two hundred thousand that he asked for. So that fifty eight hundred dollars that was buried on that river uh, was part of that larger two hundred thousand dollars. So that's essentially, in a nutshell, what uh, the legend of D- DB Cooper is and uh still you know you have some you have some people who like i think there's one guy on his deathbed admitted he's db cooper i don't think anybody believes him um it's interesting because he's described as nondescript and they have police sketches and nondescript is about a perfect adjective for (laughs) describing the police sketch and i feel some sort of like um kinship with db cooper because i feel like i've I could be described as nondescript, mainly because I've met so many people that say I look like someone that they know or someone from their past or a relative of theirs. So um, to all you nondescript listeners out there, shout out.
0: So have you not been using your nondescriptness for personal financial gain like D.B. Cooper?
1: Yeah, I hate to break it, uh, you know, the mystery of it, but (laughs) it happens I am D.B. Cooper.
0: I mean, you're one of many suspects. Okay, I'd just like to add a couple details that I think are some of them interesting to the conspiracy portions. Some of them just amazing Yeah, because they add some texture to the story. Good. So on the flight, when he asks the uh, the, the hostess, the steward, w- that he has a bomb, he suggests that they pull over because he, he has the upper hand. She didn't actually see the bomb. She asked him uh, politely, "Uh, actually, can I see the bomb just to make sure you're telling the truth? (laughs) At which point he then revealed the bomb. Uh, This was much just kind of reveals the the politeness with which these types of things were handled back in this day and age when skyjacking really wasn't a thing. Um, And they say that D.B. Cooper actually initiated what was called the golden age of skyjacking, when regulations and security precautions hadn't yet caught up Mm. to the brazenness of people willing to get on flights and attempt to use that leverage for personal gain. Other couple things I'd like to mention. While on the plane, before announcing that he had a bomb, he was smoking, chain-smoking Raleigh cigarettes.
1: That's one of my favorite details as well. That made it in my short story.
0: (laughs) Perfect. And drinking copious amounts of bourbon which is another wonderful tidbit. Um, and this plays into my favorite theory, but we can get into that in a little bit. Um, yeah, so do you want to get into... Oh, yeah, and the other thing is that he asked... When asking for the money, he asked for non-sequential bills, which at that point in time didn't really mean anything because bills could be easily tracked, which just adds to the interesting nature of the heist. It's almost as if he had learned about it through television and he was kind of copying things.
1: Oh, Interesting.
0: And he also asked for negotiable American currency, which plays into one theory that he was Canadian, because nobody in America speaks like that. <laughs> nobody <laughs> has ever called U.S. dollars negotiable American currency out of an academic setting. Um, yeah. So these are, these are some interesting tidbits that just make make it all uh, a, little, a little more fascinating than it already is. That is really so what, interesting. So what drew you to this story? What do you think is the most interesting detail? And then we can get into some, some suspects.
1: Oh, another um, interesting little tidbit is I, uh, when he asked, he's quoted as saying, you know, according to the stewardess, stewardess when she was interviewed later, that when he asked for the two hundred thousand um, dollars when they deplaned, uh, or, you know, or when they landed in Seattle, he said, "And no funny business." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "This is nineteen seventy one, all right? This is great." They um, also
0: there was also a quote where she asked, "Hey, do you have a grudge against the airline?" He goes. Not against the airline.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Just I think, a grudge in general.
1: So, th- yeah, there, I mean, there is a theory that he was a disgruntled Vietnam vet, that he was a mm-hmm. paratrooper, kind of, like, a uh, jaded, you know, American. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fluttering out there. But then they – that also is um, under scrutiny, too, because they felt like if he was, like, an experienced – paratrooper he wouldn't have chosen then to deplane because it was so just dangerous and it was in the middle of the storm okay, and he let's had several more, more hours the to decide you yeah, know yeah um, okay so
0: yeah for what i just, just want to say it might even be easier just to eliminate things that he probably wasn't because there's so many theories that almost every single explanation has been thought up at some point in time but should we start with what the fbi thinks as like the baseline
1: Yeah, well, and just to finish that point of him not being, like, an experienced uh, Uh skydiver is, uh, well, at least according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, his um, reserve parachute was sewn shut for use in training. So you would think someone who's highly experienced would have, you know, noticed that and not taken it and got a different reserve chute, right? Um, So, yeah, let's launch into, I guess... uh, Limiting the scenarios that it could have been.
0: Okay, so abs- So just adding on to your point, the other reason that the FBI originally they thought, yeah, he must be a skilled paratrooper. He asked for these specific things. He jumped out at a certain height. He had the pilots fly at a certain level and a certain distance. Yeah, ten thousand feet, uh, speed mm-hmm. slower
1: than two hundred knots.
0: But he also chose the older of the two parachutes that were provided by the FBI and this was also seen as a sign that he might not have been the skilled paratrooper mm. that the FBI thought but this has also been used by internet super sleuths to suggest that he was a Vietnam vet because the parachute that he chose though older would have been more familiar to somebody who had experience previously in the military mm. so maybe he was just picking the one he was more familiar with rather than the one that was you know technically inferior
1: yeah um i mean i the other theories that the reason that he chose to uh to skydive when he did uh flying between Seattle and Portland was that he like had a card waiting for him at a certain destination and that he had to hit that mark
0: so I'm just gonna say my two favorite theories right off the bat. One of them is that, like you said, they didn't actually see him jump from the plane. They came back and he was gone. So the air hostess was in the front. He said, go up there. They came back. They're like, oh, he must have jumped around this point because now he's not here anymore. Sure. One of my favorite theories is that he actually, there's a place on this type of plane where you can just kind of wait on the wing. Whoa. And that he actually faked where he jumped so that they'd be like, oh yeah, he jumped around this area and they'd start searching for him. But he actually jumped up closer to Reno, which would have been a much easier place to jump and Whoa. would have avoided a lot of the weather concerns.
1: What, what do you mean, now, wait on the wing?
0: So you can kind of wait out of eye's view from where people on the plane are.
1: Okay. In yeah, still so inside can, the plane.
0: It's just, like, right outside. Like, I don't think it's technically all the way out in the elements, but it's away from where there's basically, like, some little – hole on that specific type of plane that you can wade in that some people have suggested could have been how he avoided jumping in that area, which wouldn't explain the money, which is probably the most interesting portion of this. We'll get into it. But my other favorite theory is that adding on to the idea that he was, you know, drinking bourbons, chain smoking cigarettes, wearing sunglasses and a suit is the idea that because Boeing had just laid off a lot of employees in that area including some from that airline this was all a concocted plot by co-conspirators within the airline to invent this kind of fake James Bond like persona to then take the money themselves
1: oh. and so that would
0: explain the money they just kind of tossed a couple of bills out the window to hopefully be found as evidence that he died or whatever the two pilots but when exactly well whoever the you know the group of people that were still on the plane Somebody the flight engineer said, the stewardess uh, and the two pilots Exactly,
1: one of my favorites. Yeah, that's a really good theory. That's a really interesting theory. Like, because is the idea then that the stewardess fabricated the whole thing that the guy that that there was no DB Cooper that there was no chain smoking there what like that person wasn't there that they invented him or that they staged him on the plane. And it was all, like, they were all in on it, and the 36 passengers all saw D.B. Cooper and thought that it was a bomb, but then only the four knew.
0: Yeah, my th- I think the theory is that they just kind of, one of their friends dressed up as kind of a James Bond-looking dude, and they were all in on it from the start. Yeah. Which would explain how everyone kept so calm. I mean, people usually write that away to just being a different era when nobody expected anyone to actually blow up the plane. Right. But it could also have been because everything was going spectacularly well.
1: in terms of the plan you know what is um, what's hard about that theory being true uh, I feel like uh, a good counter argument to that theory would be how do you get four people to keep a secret for 50 years
0: this is the main problem with a lot of conspiracies right when people are like oh they didn't land on the plane I'm like you convinced 10,000 people or however many people at NASA and at the space agencies to keep quiet for this long with no evidence it just doesn't add up it's hard to keep like two you ever told your friend something that was a secret it's hard to keep two people quiet about something for more than a month keeping that many people quiet for that long is is difficult but if but if you to be fair if you thought that speaking out would mean your arrest and the you know the the loss of all the money you gained maybe Maybe having a couple more people in on it, a small group, would be the best way to ensure that nobody blabbed. I don't know. Oh, What's I see. It's my favorite yeah. of the theories.
1: They're like uh, mutually assured destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah. What do you think is the most likely? Like, if you had I to. Move.
0: Yeah.
1: If you had to say.
0: If I had to. If I. Somebody was with me and they were like, I know the truth. If you guess, I'll give you the money that was stolen. I would say he probably jumped out and died.
1: Yeah, that seems the most logical. But then how do you explain the... So and then with the $5,800 that washed up on the Columbia River, would that just be... Have one of the bags that he was carrying after he died just, just landed there? Or...
0: Yeah, or possibly money just fell out while he was putting it in the bags. I mean, I don't know if he had Ziploc bags or whatever they were using, but it's possible those just kind of flooded I think there
1: out. were two or there were two big canvas bags, I think, that the, that the money was stored mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that is the most logical because... It's the least fun. It's the least fun. But it's the least that. fun. I guess it's the most logical, too, because there's it's such a densely forested area where um you know where he chose to skydive but i guess what's also kind of hard to believe about that too maybe maybe it's a lot harder to find something than we think but for how many hundreds of people and how many people were looking for him and how just like extensive the search was in around the area that they that they assumed that he uh skydived ever what, yeah. With a parachute and all this money and a body, like none of that was found. Fi- you know? I mean, to
0: be fair, he I mean, he jumped out on pretty much one of the worst days of the year in the winter with n- seemingly no clothing besides just a nice suit Yeah. to manage the weather. Trench coat. So yeah. he's either an absolute genius, which is what I prefer to believe, and he did all this to basically allow people to believe that he probably didn't survive or he really wasn't as prepared as his you know, gentlemanly
1: demeanor gave off. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, let's talk about our preferred theory. Okay. Okay. I think I just like to think that, that he pulled it off and then he never, um, that he never told anybody. That's almost, I think it's more badass actually that he didn't tell anybody than that he did this thing.
0: The interesting part to me, the reason that, that I want to believe, but I'm struggling is the fact that the bills have never turned up, and there's seemingly nobody can explain how he ever would have even been able to get rid of the money or spend Oh uh,
1: right well he could he could have gone to another country and exchanged it to a different currency, right
0: even if he went to another country, most money if it ever if even one bill found its way back to the u s. Then it would have been recorded when it was taken out of circulation. I mean, it's possible. But it oh, it would add a whole other layer of sophistication that I hope is true. But it, to me, is almost the most puzzling part, because he had all this interesting stuff, but then he asked for non-sequential bills, which is not a thing that would have helped you avoid detection. And also asked for cash in a, that could easily be tracked. So he either had a plan from the beginning or it just seemed like a great idea at the time and he hadn't really totally thought it through. And you, I don't know which one is true.
1: You know what's very unlikely but a very appealing theory?
0: What's that? Is that he, was,
1: is <laughs> that he was such a genius that he hold this off while making himself look like an amateur. I, that's what I'm
0: saying. That, yeah. and In which case, that's brilliant. And kudos to him.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wonder if even the FBI is like, you know what, man? This was a <laughs> largely a victimless crime. Yeah, I mean, nobody was hurt. Um, I don't know. There are... It's just, yeah, it's weird. Because it's easy to think that nothing happened. Like, it's easy to think that... Almost uh, like this doesn't exist you know what I'm saying like it's easy it's it's hard to picture any of these scenarios being true but something has to be true right
0: uh-huh.
1: I guess that's yeah. the fun of a mystery is you um there's undeniable evidence so you know something happened but there's also no clear direction or even like I don't know. It's, it's hard to even think that any of these arguments are more or less likely than another. Because
0: I feel true, like there's enough counter the
1: evidence to, to kind of combat a lot of, you know, a lot of these conspiracy theories. So okay. So which,
0: which of your favorite, which suspect do you think is your, is your favorite?
1: Uh, walk me through the suspects.
0: Oh man, I can't. There's like we'd have to run. There's so many suspects. <laughs> there seems like people have realized that people love DB Cooper case and I've tried to profit on it over and over uh by writing books and stories and things about how their neighbor or their coworker or their late husband was DB Cooper.
1: Well, that would be um, so to go back to the theory of it being the Boeing employees, that would be the brilliance of Whoever they cast as DB Cooper by just being the most everyman looking person, you know? Right? Yeah. Because you look at a photo of him and you're like, nineteen seventies, American middle aged male. This okay. is <laughs> this is the guy.
0: <laughs> There's one of my favorite suspects, this guy's name is William J. Smith. All of the oh my evidence God. is circumstantial. Have you seen yeah. this guy?
1: No, I just William Smith is the most nondescript name <laughs> ever. Okay.
0: Exactly. The, literally, pretty much the only reason he's a prime suspect is because he looks so much like the photo. It's like, yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you showed that photo and you looked at this guy, you'd be like, holy crap, that's D.P. Cooper. Yeah. And that's basically all the evidence they have. But uh, fortunately for him, that's, that's not enough evidence. My favorite suspect was, I'm trying to find his name. There was this guy who pulled off a very similar heist from Denver. I think it was Richard Floyd McCoy Jr., Oh, yeah, like that's the one later. I read about uh-huh, and he ended up getting killed in a gunfire shootout after escaping from jail by crafting a fake gun with uh <laughs> with haircutting supplies and I'm like, man, that's just that guy's not even the guy, and his backstory is already <laughs> incredibly fascinating too. It just seems like the seventies were a lot more fun in terms of it doesn't criminals. it seems
1: it seems like. D.B. Cooper would be a lot more subtle than McCoy, though. Yeah.
0: No, like, I don't think it was him. That's off-brand to me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I don't know. So, um, so one more thing I wanted to mention is all this genealogy
0: stuff. You know how they use DNA testing of, like, the niece of somebody on one of those genealogy websites to catch the Golden State Killer? Yeah. So they have the tie that D.B. Cooper left on the plane before he jumped and they've been testing it against a bunch of these suspects and ruling out a bunch of prime suspects based on this the DNA that was on the tie left on the plane right they're but the thing is they're unsure if the DNA from the tie is actually D.B. Cooper's or if it was just somebody else who touched the tie afterwards and so I'm I'm unsure if that'll ever help but it is just another layer of modern sleuthing that's added when people like you know in the 70s you would never have thought that leaving a tie behind could incriminate you right years later which is just pretty insane um, what, did, he, really did he
1: swab the tie on the inside of his cheek
0: uh, i like to think that he he kind of like dabbed his mouth after right. drinking the bourbon and then Up threw it the over bourbon, his shoulder yeah, yeah so that <laughs> but i don't know it's uh wasn't that much detail in the files
1: Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is that, in my opinion, that was not a bomb at all. That was a complete bluff. What do you think? Do you think that was actual dynamite? It
0: doesn't seem like it was a bomb. No.
1: Because I
0: think if it was an actual bomb, he probably would have had the suitcase open to begin with. I think her calling him out on it and him having to be like, oh, shit, good thing I had this backup fake bomb means that he probably wasn't super confident in his bomb, fake bomb making abilities in the first place.
1: Yeah, I don't know how confident he was in the whole... Th- I don't know, the drinking bourbon and chain-smoking makes me think he was really nervous about
0: it. Yeah, that's, that could be the case. I think most people write it off as like, oh, he's just really cool and calm and collected, but yeah, I mean, if I was about to hijack something, I'd probably want a glass of bourbon and maybe some cigarettes as well, so that's fair.
1: Um, yeah, shoot. Well? So did we solve it? I think this is one of those that... <laughs> It's just it will and this is the weird thing is that it's never like Netflix hasn't done a show on this yet. I would love to write the Netflix show of this.
0: You should. I think there's enough intellectual property there. People are people know enough about in the back of their minds Stevie Cooper that you could you could write in maybe you could make him it he's a secret agent and this is just part of his plot. I don't know. You could do something. I like it.
1: Um, well, we'll open
0: a tip line huh? if anyone yeah. Uh, has. Yeah. Anyone any has any information,
1: evidence, information on DB Cooper. Mm-hmm. Let us know. Let us
0: know, absolutely. Until next time. Later. Adios, rational bitches.
1: Rational bitches. Rational listeners. <laughs> <laughs> That's great.